0: Once again, let me uh, welcome you here to Big Valley Grace. And again, welcome to those of you that are over in the uh, venue and all of you that are watching online. If you would, uh, um, we supply a set of little notes, all the Bible verses we're going to look at. And you might want to pull that out and just take uh, some notes. Jesus was crucified on Friday, he died on Friday. And it says this in John chapter 19. Afterwards, after Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate, Pilate was the man who had Jesus crucified, for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to see Jesus at night. He brought with him 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth, the place of Crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never before used. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. I actually have a picture of what we believe is that tomb. Uh, this is my wife and I in one of the trips that we led to Israel. Some of you have been there. But if you were to walk into that tomb, it's really a cave you would uh, you would see a little rock that uh, the body of Jesus would have been been placed on. So here we have we've got these two men, both of them we know very little about. One man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate on Friday and says, I'd like the body of Jesus. Wasn't Peter, James, John, not those guys. Wasn't Mary, wasn't Martha, wasn't Mary, you know, Magdalene. But this man that we know very little about, Joseph of Arimathea, he goes to Pilate and says, I'd like the body. Pilate says, okay, you can have the body. And so Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, and you can read about Nicodemus in John chapter three, together they go to the cross. They would have been the ones who took the body off of the cross. The Romans wouldn't have done that. <laughs> so here you have this no name, Joseph of Arimathea, who would have bent down and would have taken the, the arm. Or or, or the wrist of Jesus and would have pulled it out of the nails. He would have gone to the other wrist and pulled the hand out from the nails. He would have grabbed Jesus' ankles and pulled them off of the nail. And there were probably tendons and and bones and blood that were just kind of left on those nails. Joseph of Arimathea would have done this. Joseph of Arimathea would have been the the man who would have cleaned the body of Jesus. Literally from head to toe, it would have been Joseph of Arimathea, not the disciples, not the women, would have cleaned his body. Imagine the blood on that body. Imagine the, the sweat that would have been on that body. Imagine the stink that would have been on that body. So after Joseph of Arimathea gets the body all clean, then they would have taken this 75 pounds worth of spices, aloes, myrrhs that Nicodemus brought, and they would have wrapped the body of Jesus. They were the ones, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who would have taken that body and put it into the tomb would have been those guys. Look at, beloved, Jesus was dead. The Romans were experts at killing people. They were experts in capital punishment. They knew when someone was dead, and and Jesus was dead. Otherwise, they would have never allowed Jesus to come off of that cross. And two men... Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take that body, clean that body, wrap that body up and they were the ones that put it into a tomb, put it into this grave. A huge stone was rolled in front of that grave. The Romans put a garrison around it. They didn't want the body to be stolen and it was sealed. These two men knew Jesus was dead. Everybody in Jerusalem knew Jesus was dead. But something happened three days later that literally changed the course of history. It literally changed the the course of my personal life. (laughs) It literally changed the course of most of you in this room or over in the venue or those watching online. It it, it changed our lives forever, and I believe by the time I'm done here, it's going to change the course of some of your lives, literally forever. I've watched God do that last night in both of our gatherings and last hour. So let's read Dr. Luke's account of this unbelievable moment in history. A moment that changed everything, okay? Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, remember he died on Friday. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put him in the tomb. It's now Sunday, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now, I don't know why they waited until Sunday. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they heard about what Joseph of Arimathea had done and Nicodemus and thought, hey, we got to get in on this. You know how dudes can be? Maybe they didn't do a very good job of getting her all done. But now these women have decided they're going to go to the tomb. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the women asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he'd rise again on the third day? Then they remembered. They remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, however, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Peter knew Jesus was dead. He had seen the Romans execute lots of people, I'm sure. There was no doubt that Jesus was dead. He knew where Jesus had been buried He knew that there was a big stone in front of that grave. He knew the Romans had put a garrison of men in front of it. He knew that that the tomb had been sealed. He knew that. And here these women were saying that the stone had been rolled away, that Jesus wasn't there. So he goes to chuck it out. And sure enough, he's not there. The stone is rolled away. The Roman soldiers aren't there. And so he's heading back home, and he's just pondering all this in his mind. The last, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours of Peter's life has just been a whirlwind. He's he's just shell-shocked. So he's heading home, kind of thinking this all through. Look, I've read this story at least a thousand times, and every time I, I read it, it amazes me. This happened over 2,000 years ago, and yet over the next, you know, basically 24 hours, literally a billion people or more all over the world will gather just like we are to celebrate this amazing moment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A billion people or more. The question is why? Why is something that happened over 2,000 years ago still causing, you know, people to celebrate like we're doing right now? Why is it that over 2,000 years ago, you know, this event happened and we still got traffic jams out in front of our churches because of of this? Well, this is what I want to talk about today. We're we're going to talk about what makes the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter, such an amazing moment, such an important moment, and potentially such a life-changing moment. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to give you four statements throughout this message that I think will help you better understand what this weekend's all about. Okay, which is, which is my goal. I want you to understand what this weekend's all about. I want you to understand the implications of what the empty tomb means. Because if you get it, if you understand it, it'll change your life forever. Just like it changed my life forever. Just like it changed most of the people's lives in this room for, forever. Okay, so here's, here's the first statement. Okay, statement number one, Jesus is good. <laughs> Jesus is good. And here's the deal. If you don't get anything else out of this message but this, it's a win. Okay? Jesus is good. Psalms 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Beloved, Jesus is good. As the pastor of this great church, I want people to come here to taste the Lord. I want those of you that are here today, whether you're in this room, over in the venue, or whatever, I want you to taste the Lord. Because if you taste the Lord, I guarantee you, you'll see that he's good, because he is good. But unfortunately, here's what happens. Too many times when people go to church, all they taste is the denomination of that church. That's what they taste. Too many times when people go to church, all they taste is a religion. Too many times when people go to church, all they taste are a bunch of rules and and regulations, you know, like, like, like legalism. Too many times when people go to church, all they taste is a list of do's and don'ts. You know, here's all the things that we as Christians do, and here's all the things we don't. And, of course, the the don'ts, you know, that's just a massive list that we have, right? We don't do this. We don't do that. Christians don't do this. Which is why so many people want nothing to do with Jesus, because they never taste him. They, never take, they don't taste them. They don't see them. Now, there's nothing necessarily evil or wicked in a denomination. There's, there's nothing evil or wicked in some of those things. But too often, those things get in the way of actually tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And it's our goal here, it's our prayer that whenever somebody comes here, whether, whether it's in our main services here or main gatherings or it's in our children's ministries or whatever, that, that somehow people, children, adults, whatever, they taste the Lord. They see the Lord. And I want you to know that nothing shows you how good Jesus is like the resurrection. If you you can taste this, if you can see this, if you can get this, if you can understand the importance of Jesus walking out of the tomb, you'll know he's good. You'll understand why Christians gather on a weekend like this to to celebrate. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, I passed on to you what is most important and what had also been passed on to me. And here it is. Here's Here's the most important thing that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, and then he was raised from the the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. Beloved, if you were to boil down what the most important thought uh, uh, about Jesus is, it's this right here. That Jesus died on a cross a little over 2,000 years ago. And when he died on that cross, he took on all the sins of the world. He took on your sin and mine. And when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took Jesus off of that cross and put him into that tomb, guess what went into that tomb with Jesus? Our sin. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, proving that he was who he said he was, and that is the Son of God, he left all your sin in there. And at that moment, he made it possible for you to have all your sins forgiven. He made it possible for you to have a relationship with him and the Father. And When you get this, when you understand this, when you taste this, you'll understand just how good Jesus is. Now, Now, here's the deal. Most of us, you know, here and over in the venue or whatever, believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, right? I mean, we believe that Jesus was crucified and buried on a Friday, and then three days later on Sunday, it rose from the grave. Most of us have tasted that. We understand it. That's why we're excited about a weekend like this. It's why we were so excited that we went out and invited a lot of our our friends and neighbors and and family members, some of you. And we're glad that you're, you're with us. But I also know that there are some of you here And you struggle with that thought. I know that there are some of you here and you're thinking to yourself, dude, are you out of your mind? How could you really believe that? I mean, it's impossible for somebody to conquer death. And the reason why I know that some of you are thinking that is because I used to think the same thing. I can remember going to Easter services when I was younger thinking, these people are nuts. How could you really believe that somebody rose from the grave? I remember going down to First Baptist and Bill Yeager who used to be the preacher there. Maybe He'd be preaching his guts out and I used to just sit there and go, what? And I'd look around at all these people and they'd be singing all these songs. He's risen, he's risen indeed. And I didn't want to feel stupid and so I'd do it, you know. <laughs> but I would go, man, really? These people are lost it. How could you possibly be- believe this? I watched a TV program the other day that basically made fun of anybody that believed that Jesus rose from the grave. Remember what Peter and the rest of the disciples said when they first heard the story of the resurrection? But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Beloved, Jesus' own disciples, when they first heard the story, thought it was nonsense. So if you're here and you think it's nonsense, it's okay. You're in good company. I get it. There was a moment when everybody in this room thought it was nonsense. I'm just glad you're here. And you're welcome here. Now, obviously, something happened. Obviously, something happened to Peter, James, John, the rest of the boys, right? Something happened last night to a lot of people. Something happened last hour to a lot of people. And maybe in the next few minutes, something might happen to some of you. I don't know. It's in God's hands. Here's the deal. If you do struggle with this thought, I just want you to relax and sit back and listen. And when I'm done here, you know, you can leave and go to your Sunday brunch and go, man, that guy's nuts. That guy's crazy. <laughs> but here's, here, here's the deal. I think if nothing else, this will be somewhat interesting for you. At least you'll have a better understanding of what we believe here at Big Valley Grace and why over a billion people are celebrating this weekend, Right? So the first statement I want you, uh, want you to understand or the first statement I want to make is this, is that Jesus is good. Now, now, now the second statement is this, statement number two, Jesus came to give you a new life. Okay, Jesus came to give you a new life. I, I, I want you to understand this. This is just so important. John chapter 10, we actually have a, a direct quote from Jesus. Jesus said, i have come in order that you might have life and not just any kind of life but life in all of its fullness an abundant life an eternal life a life that will go on forever and ever and ever a life full of hope that's why jesus came those are his own words you see Now I want you to notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I've come that you might have a religion. He didn't come to bring a religion. He didn't say, I've come that you might have a set of rules and regulations to live by. He didn't say, I've come to give you more things to do in your life. Praise God, i got enough things to do in my life. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't say, I've come in order that you might be able to put more things on your to-do list. <laughs> Jesus said, I've come to give you life. An abundant life, as I said. A life full of meaning and purpose. Life that will go on forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. a Life full of hope. Beloved, not only is Jesus good, but he came to give you the gift, the free gift of a new, unbelievable life. Romans chapter six says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life, is this new life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now this Life that Jesus came to give you isn't something you simply tack on to your old life. It's a brand new life. And you gotta write that down. This new life that Jesus came to give you isn't something you just tack on to your old life, it's a brand new life. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anybody has given their life to Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Beloved, the life that Jesus came to to give us, to give you is a brand new life. About a month ago, I I played in this Water for Life Golf Tournament that Pastor Scott Butler, one of our worship pastors, put on, his son put on. And at this tournament, you could buy these things called mulligans, okay? And I personally bought nine of them. Okay, I also played with Pastor Rick Thompson, who baptized a little bit ago, Pastor John Frioli, and Pastor Bobby Kirchner. Brutal foursome, let me just tell you. Now, for those of you who don't know what a mulligan is, let me explain it. A mulligan allows you to do a shot over again if you mess it up. So whenever I goofed up a shot, you know, I sliced it or hooked it or duffed it, I just go, mulligan! Mulligan! (laughs) And I throw out one of my tickets, and I got a brand new shot. Got to do the, the shot over again. And in a weird way, this is what Jesus Christ offers you. He offers you a a, a mulligan for your life. A brand new life. Now some of you are thinking to yourself, Pastor Rick, why do I need a mulligan on my life? I mean, you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, I, I got a pretty good life. I got a nice family. I got a good job. I got money in the bank. I own a nice home. Got a couple of nice cars, right? Why do I need this new life? And I want you to know, That's a good question. In fact, that's a great question. In fact, if you don't understand the answer to that question, you'll never understand just how good Jesus is. So why do you or anybody else need this new life? Why did Jesus show up and say, hey, I came to to give you a life, a new life, a brand new life, a life full of hope and meaning and purpose, What was that about? Why do we need this new life? Well, here's here's the deal. The only way I can answer that question is I have to take you all the way back to the beginning of time. i got to take you all the way back to the first two human beings ever created, and that was Adam and Eve. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness, and let them, human beings, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the tame animals, over all the earth, and over all the small crawling animals on the earth. So God created human beings in his image. God created everything. God God made cows and and, uh, billy goats. He, He made your dog, he made your cat, he made your hamster. He made, you know, eagles, and he made worms. He created zebras, porcupines. He created everything, but it was human life that was different. Human life was made in the very image of God. It's what makes us very unique. It's what makes human life special. It's what gives our life dignity. We would call it the sanctity of human life. Human life is set apart. It's like no other life that God has created. And at the moment that God created Adam and Eve, everything was great. Life was great, everything was perfect. This moment in time, uh, uh, the the life that Adam and Eve had was, was unbelievable. It was a great life, a special life, a life of close fellowship or friendship with God. God had given Adam and Eve everything they needed to have a great life. Beloved, this was the life that God wanted us all to experience. But God had to set things up in, su- in such a way that we as human beings would love God and worship God and serve God and obey God because we wanted to love him and serve him and obey him you see God didn't want a bunch of mindless robots that just kind of were created that said I love you God I love you I love you God I want to worship you God I love you God if we were just pre-programmed just to say that then that's not really love You you, you want your spouse to love you, not because they've been pre-programmed to say it or not because you put a gun to their head. You want them to love you because they make a choice to love you, you see. Otherwise, it's not love. And so what God did was God gave Adam and Eve a free will, a free will at least to make a decision as to whether they were going to love God. They can make a choice. He gave them a free will as to whether they were going to worship God or serve God or obey God. Adam and Eve had a choice. Do I want to worship Him? Do I want to love Him? Do I want to honor Him with my life? Well, Adam and Eve made the choice to disobey God. The Bible calls it sin They used their free will to walk away from God. And when they did that, everything changed. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, when Adam sinned, when Adam used his free will to disobey God, sin now entered into the world. The very moment Adam made the choice to disobey God, sin against God, everything changed. It messed up everything. Sin ruined the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. It ruined the life that God had intended for Adam and Eve to live, the life that God wanted Adam and Eve to experience. And it also ruined the relationship between you and God and the life that God had for you. The Bible says, for everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. The great prophet Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left our own paths to follow our own thoughts. We've left God's paths just to follow our own. Proverbs asks a great question. Who can say, I've kept my heart pure, I'm clean and without sin? And the answer is nobody, right? We've all sinned, we've all blown it, we've all disobeyed God, we've all done things that we knew were wrong, right? We've all said things that we uh, knew were wrong. We've all used our God-given free will to not obey Him. In fact, some of you have used your God-given free will to the degree you don't even believe in Him anymore, right? There was a time in my life when I actually used my God-given free will to not even believe in him. I believed that I was just a, a coincidence of nature, that two molecules got together a billion or a, whatever the number is this month, uh, years ago, and that there was some gaseous, nushishnish, nishish, and you know, and, and we were swimming around, and the next thing you know, we popped up and saw a fruit on a tree, crawled out, sprouted some arms and legs, and the next thing you know, here we are. Just educated goo. A little higher up the evolutionary chain than an orangutan, you know. I believed that. I didn't realize that there was something unique and special about me. That human life was different. That it was that I was created in the very image of God. That God had a plan and a purpose for my life. It's amazing what we have done with this free will that God has given us. God wanted you to understand the significance of sin, and so you know what he did? He gave you a gift. He gave you a thing called a conscience. (laughs) Pesky little thing. (laughs) Amazing what evolution will do. That's a hard one to explain, isn't it? You see, God gave you a conscience because he wanted you to know when you did something wrong, when you sinned. He wanted you to go, ooh, e ooh. He loved you so much, he wanted you to understand the concept of sin. He wanted you to understand that sin had impacted your life. He wanted you to understand that, you know what, there's a, there's a consequence that comes with, with sin. Sin. Romans chapter 5 says, For the wages of sin is death. Beloved, sin is a force that nobody escapes from. It literally pollutes and defiles and stains and mars everything it touches. Because of sin, there are tears and pain and war and fighting and anxiety and discord and unrest and fear and worry and sickness and death and famine and earthquakes and pollution and anything else that mars our planet. But the worst thing about sin is that it brought death, physical death, to all that have come before us and will bring physical death to all of us someday in the future, right? But worse than physical death, sin brought with it spiritual death. Sin severed the relationship between Adam and Eve and God, and it severed the relationship that we had with God. To the degree that some of you, as I said, don't even believe in him anymore. That's how powerful sin is. That's how badly sin has stained and marred your life. Which brings me to my third statement, and that is this. Sin ruined the wonderful life that God had planned for you. And here's the big, huge bummer in the story. You can't do anything to fix the problem of sin. Job chapter 14 says, who can bring purity out of an impure person? (laughs) And the answer is no one. You can't do it. Beloved, ever since Adam and Eve, it's been sinners and sinners and sinners and sinners and sinners and sinners and and nothing but sinners. We've all drank from the same poison well. We've all inherited the same fallen genetics. The only non-sinner that has ever lived is Jesus. The Bible says that in him, there was no sin. All this to say that you have no power to do anything about your sin. You have no power to fix the problem of sin. Which brings me back to my first two statements. Jesus is good. And Jesus came to give you a new life. This is what Easter's all about. This is why a billion people are at churches this week and Jesus is good and one of the greatest reasons Jesus is good is because he came to give you a new life which we all needed, why? Because our old life has been tainted and marred by sin. You see? Because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, all of us sit in this room together or over in the venue together or maybe you're in your house watching this in the comfort of your own, you know, chair. But all of us have been stained by sin and we can't get the stain out. It's impossible. This life is tainted. But Jesus comes along and says, I've come to give you a new life. A new one. You may have a nice home, you may have a nice car, you may have a nice spouse, you may have you know, two nice homes, you may have two nice cars. You may have a lot of money in the bank, doesn't matter. Your life has still been stained and marred by sin. Everybody needs this new life that Jesus came to bring us. Look, sin Brought death into, equi- into the equation of life. Physical death and way more importantly, spiritual death. But because you're deeply loved by God, remember you were made in his image, right? He had a plan. Let me take you back 33 years before the resurrection. Luke chapter 2 says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born For you. He's Christ the Lord. (laughs) You see, you can't talk about Easter. You can't talk about the cross unless you talk about that other unbelievable day when God sent his son Jesus to be born in a little town called Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. He'll offer you a new life. See, Paul said, here's a trustworthy saying. Paul said this in 1 Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world for a purpose, and that purpose was to save sinners. And we're all sinners, and that includes me. All of our lives have been stained by sin. All of us. This is what Easter's all about. It's about the Savior who came to forgive us of our sins and offer us a new life. You see, the beauty of Easter isn't the weather or bunny rabbits or colored eggs or new dresses, you know, or pastel ties or whatever. The beauty of Easter is that when Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb, it provided a cure for the problem of sin. Peter said this, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy has given us a a new birth into a living hope. In other words, God has given us a a brand new life, a a life full of hope, an eternal life, a, a life that will go on forever and ever and ever. And how did that happen? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus conquered death, is the key that enables you and I to live the life that Jesus came to give us. It's the key that unlocks the door to this new life. Which brings me to my fourth and final statement, okay? Statement number four is, surrendering your life over to Jesus is the only way to receive the free gift of a new life. It's the only way. Only way. If there was another way, I'd tell you. If I thought you running out of here and doing a bunch of good things, a bunch of good deeds could somehow get you this new life, I'd tell you. But the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says that all your good deeds, all your righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags to God. They don't mean a thing to him. That, that, that's, how, that's how deep sin runs in your life. There's nothing you can do. Listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What's he talking about here? Well, you were born once, right? You were, physically, you were, you were born. But remember, sin has invaded your life. It's tainted your, your, your life. It's stained your life. It's ruined your relationship with God, so you need to be born again. Obviously, not not physically born again, but spiritually born again. And you're born again when you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. At that moment's when you're born again. Listen to what John said in John chapter one. He, that's Jesus, came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him, all who accepted him, all who surrendered their life to him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with the physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You gotta be born again, if you will. Beloved, at the moment, you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ, something amazing happens. You're, you're born again. You're born again into this new life. You're born again into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus also said this in, in John chapter three. He said, for God so loved the world, and that's you. He's not talking about, you know, the, the globe, He's talking about people. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever would surrender their lives to him, those people would not perish, but they would have eternal life. They would have this new life, this life that would go on forever and ever and ever. The Bible says this in John chapter one, first John chapter five, excuse me. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And beloved, I want you to know there are forces at work in the world today that want to really muddy up the waters as it relates to the message of this book. They want people to be confused as to what this book has to say. But I want you to know it's a pretty simple story. It's really the greatest love story ever written. We have God creating it all. He creates Adam and Eve. He he wants them to have this beautiful life, but they sinned against him. And ever since Genesis chapter three, The message has been, I'm going to send a Savior to you. A Savior who would bring new life to you. And then when you get to the New Testament, the New Testament is all about the fact that the Savior has come. Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. And it's through a relationship with him that you can experience this new life. It's a pretty simple message. This book wasn't written to trick anybody. But there are forces at work that want you to go, oh, man, whew, there are a lot of of words in there, man. I don't know, what does all that say? What does all that mean? Well, I just wrapped it up for you in 10 seconds, basically. Now, here's the the really sad thing, and it's how I'm going to end, okay? The sad thing is this, is that most people will never experience this new life. Most people will never surrender their life to Jesus Christ listen to these sad words from Jesus he said the gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell and many people enter through that gate but the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life this new life that Jesus came to bring us and only a few people find that road Those are weighty words, aren't they? Jesus said, hey, look, here's the bottom line. As great as this new life is that I've come to bring, more people will rather just live in their sin. People like their sin. They like the darkness of sin. That road that just leads to hell is wide and it's packed full of people, but the road that leads to life, real life, a life that will go on forever and ever and ever throughout all of eternity, a life full of hope and meaning and purpose, is narrow. Few people will get on that road. And here's the deal. I believe this. We, we did our best here this weekend to bring the light to people through the music, through the preaching, but here's the thing, the Bible says a number of you walked in here and you were just blinded to the truth. And so what we do is we just bring the light, we just bring the truth and God is the one who illuminates the truth and the light. He's the one that opens your eyes to the light that I have brought. It's all Him. All I do is bring the light, and then God's the one who illuminates it so that you go, wow, I I get it. That happened to me, obviously, decades ago. It happened to most of us in this room at some time or another, and I believe that it's happening to some of you. It happened to a lot of people just last hour. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the fact that God has opened your eyes to truth, to the light. And this could be an unbelievable Easter for you where you give your life over to the one who said, I want to give you new life. And so just do me this favor. And here over in the venue, just, just close your eyes for a second. And I don't want anybody to pray right now. I just want you to be alone. Don't worry about your spouse sitting next to you. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about your parents. Don't worry about your boyfriend or your girlfriend. This is one of those weighty moments for some of you, super weighty. And I know there are some of you that are going, man, pastor, just get done. I want to get out of here. I get it. I did that for a lot of Easter's. But I know that there are some of you right now and you're wrestling around with truth right now. You're wrestling around with the light that's been given to you and God's opened your eyes and I won't give you a chance to respond to it, okay? And this is all I want you to do, whether you're here over in the venue, maybe you're watching online and that's this. I just want you to pray this prayer. Just mean it in your heart. Just say it in your heart. You gotta mean it. God can see into your heart right now. He knows whether you mean it or not. But just say, dear, dear Jesus, I now know why you're so good. You came to give me a new life. I understand my sin ruined everything. And right now, I receive you into my life. I surrender my life to you right now, Jesus. Come into my life and cleanse me of my sin, and I I receive you. I receive that new life that you came to give me. I understand that you're God, and I'm but your creation, and I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm humbling myself before you, Jesus. My life is now yours. Now, while your eyes are closed and all that kind of stuff, (laughs) some of you have no idea. I I know you prayed it. I I know it. And some of you have no clue as to what what this moment in history means. In time you will, but right now you, you don't. But I'd like to rejoice with you. And so while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, all that kind of stuff, would you just raise your hand in here and over in the venue, even though I can't see you over there. And let me, let, let, let me see your hand if you prayed that. Bunch of you right here, yeah, up there. Yeah, wow. yeah. Just make sure I, if you raise your hand, you can look up at me. Make sure, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, right here, cool. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, right up there. Yeah, right here, cool, very cool. Anybody, yeah, I see you right back there. Very cool, very cool. All right, everybody look up here just, just real quick. Here's the deal. There were a ton of hands. There were probably some hands over in the venue or whatever. Um, That's what I want you to do, okay? And this this will make some sense. You've just entered into the most important relationship that you'll ever have, and it would be really crummy if I just said, "Hey, go eat," you know, food. You know, that'd be weird. And one of the things that God did was he left this thing called the church so that the church could help you have a better understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and all the implications that go with that. And so if you would just take your card and write down here at the bottom, just say, uh, just mark that little box, I've decided to, to follow Jesus today. Mark that box. And these cards will be given to me before I leave here. And I just want to take these cards home and rejoice with you. Okay? I promise you, you know, Monday I'm not going to show up at your door. Hey! <laughs> Man, you marked the box. Here I am. You know, I, I, that's everybody's nightmare. You know. um, <laughs> but if you'd marked that box, I'd know about it. And I'll send you an email or snail mail, whatever, whatever it is you got. And, and I just want to rejoice with you. And what I want to do is, is I want to invite you to uh, this, this follow class. In fact, in your program, you can s- see a little thing on it. In just a couple of weeks on Wednesday night in a room right around the corner here, man, there's always about 100 people in there, and we gather around tables, and it's me. It's really cash. It's a lot of fun. We have child care and all that kind of stuff. And, and what I do is it's about eight weeks long, and I just kind of gave you the fundamental things about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. It's, it's the first place that we want you to go. And I want to invite you to it. And you need to come to it. You need to do all that you can to say, man, I'll give up eight weeks of my life and and come and be be a part of that. And, And so it's really important that you would just mark on there, hey, man, I gave my life to Christ today. It could be that, man, you were watching the baptisms go on and maybe you gave your life to Christ last weekend here or last month or, I don't know, a decade ago, and you've never been baptized and you know you're supposed to, mark that second box right there. Hey, i don't want to be baptized, and once again, I'll send you an email saying, hey, here's the next class. Why don't you come and do all that and, you know, we'll videotape your, your testimony and splice it all down and we'll baptize you. So you, mark the, you might mark that. But some of you might be here and you're going, you know what, I've already given my life to Christ, I've already been baptized or whatever, but I've never been through the follow class and I'd like to to go. Well, all you have to do is up in the corner just put a little star. And that just tells me you're interested in the follow class. And once again, I'll send you an email or a letter or something, just inviting you to come and sending you a little brochure on it. Space is limited in there, and so you're going to want to get signed up as fast as you can. And so so you're either going to mark a box or you're going to, you know, put a little star up in the corner, and those will be given to me. And this is what we're going to do. I just want you to pass those cards in to the end of the row here, okay, if you do that. And I'm going to ask our hosts and hostesses if they would come, and they're just going to pick these cards. They're going to pick these cards up right, right, right now, okay? So Pass them in, fill out that box, pass them in and all that kind of stuff. Over in the venue, you're going to do the same thing, all right? Now, this is what I want everybody to do. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up over in the the venue. And I'm going to ask Pastor Scott if he would uh, wrap up this time. Let me just tell you, man, I, I love you. I love being at this church. If you're visiting with us, man, I'm glad you're here. And I don't care whether you mark the box or not. I just want you to know you're welcome here any time. You come back in, in, any time, all right? Pastor Scott, you, you pray.